Welcome to the Bardcast. It's Shakespeare, you dick. We are your hosts. I am Lisa Ann Goldsmith. And I am Owen Thompson. And today's episode is romantic, Shakespeare. And I'm going to tell you really how this came up. Owen and I were just talking one day about the couples in Shakespeare um, and what makes a good couple and which are actually love and which are lust and all of that kind of stuff. But not like filthy stuff, not like, you know, sex yeah. stuff. No, like relationships, like who like because so many Shakespeare plays, of course, the comedies especially end with people getting married. And so many of the plays are concerned with people hooking up and getting together. So we were not for the first time we were talking about, well, you know, who's really a viable who do we believe in when the play is over? Who 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 are the couples that we think really work? Right. Right. Or when the play begins, for that matter. Although I will say also in this, so we, you might even call this unromantic Shakespeare because we're going <laughs> to blow up a lot of them, but I want to relationship of, Shakespeare speaking of romance I, I, or, or mm, related issues. I have to say something amusing happened today, Lisa. And do you want to tell them about what happened with, um, with, with Chase bank? Oh, my <laughs> God. so you guys, now that, you know, we've been doing this for a while and we have some patrons and we love them very much. We opened, we love you all. We opened a bank account under our LLC and all was well until I got this letter today that said, dear blah, 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 LLC. Thank you for being a blah, blah business client. We are required to collect and maintain certain client information. After reviewing your account, we found that we need a more detailed business description to better understand the nature of your business. So I call Lisa and Lisa and texts this to me (laughs) and I look at it and I think there's only one explanation for this. I, 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 and I texted her back saying, I'll bet you it's because we have the word Dick in the name of our business. They think, they think we're a porno shop. And to be fair, the guy was like, well, there's just a bunch of questions they should have asked you and they didn't. So I'm going to ask you now. And, and he, he starts going through them and I'm, I'm waiting for it. And he wait, I'm waiting for it. He's like, do you, do you allow business transfers with anybody? Do you sell, um, do you che- like cash checks and stuff like that? I'm like, no, no. And then he says, do you have anything to do with the adult entertainment industry? And I'm like, no, we're a Shakespeare <laughs> podcast for fuck's sake. You see, I was right. <laughs> they did think we were porno producers. Oh, you know, Will is loving this right now. Oh, he sure. Well, listen, I mean, not that these these uh, podcasts are not sometimes R rated, but not X rated. God damn it. Right. <laughs> now, listen, if Shakespeare talks, if talks now, and, Ah. (laughs) i mean listen if shakespeare's writing dick jokes that doesn't mean that owen and i wrote the dick jokes we're just the messengers people that's right we're just the academics discussing it so fuck off (laughs) chase bank (laughs) i did say blah blah bank we weren't gonna say what bank it was oh no i i said chase bank right at the beginning (laughs) put the cuffs on me Oh, yeah. So that happened. So back to Shakespeare and the couples in Shakespeare. That's right. So so let me I'll ask you, Lisa. Ann. Okay. who who are there among Shakespearean couples that you think are like worth the time of day, like couples that work as a couple that are believable? Okay. 
do you know who's believable as a couple? Touchstone and Audrey. And you know why? Because in this play that's like got like these ridiculous love triangles and, you know, gender switches, they stand out as being sensible and time efficient, right? Everybody else fucking runs around sticking poems on trees, but Touchstone woos Audrey in about, what, like three pages of dialogue and they are both completely content with the outcome. And then... Right after that happens, then he like promises to kill a rival 150 ways. This is true. I have, I will say, I have you a have hard time. To t- I have, I have a little bit of a hard time picturing their home life. Hey, but if, it I, wor- if it works for them, who are we to say otherwise? That, that is true. That is true. I, and I will, uh, that play is unusual because I actually also have a fair amount of faith in Orlando and, and uh, Rosalind. <clears throat> yes, even though they do fall in love awfully quickly, but that happens a lot in Shakespeare. Well, sure. And ha- um, come on, it happens in plays and poems and movies and books and all of that shit. But at least they they, they both seem like decent people as opposed yeah, yeah. to as opposed to. Well, obviously, she's a lot smarter than he is, which, you know, is a low bar. But um, but, and, he's, uh, and, but he's a good man. Yeah, he's a good oh, man. A and good he man. genuinely loves her as yeah. opposed to, let us say, in Twelfth Night, right, with Viola and Orsino. Oh my God. First of all, what the hell does Viola see in Orsino to begin with? Right? Yeah, he's a douchebag. I mean, may, he's, he better be damn good looking. We know he's rich, but he's a total self-involved pompous jerk off as we've discussed in other podcasts from the That's very right. beginning. And then like about five minutes before he asks her to marry him, he says he's going to murder her. And let me point out that when he finds out she's a woman the end of the play is still him calling her by her male name. Yeah. You realize well, that? So the, what is that about? Well, the whole, that, I mean, obviously that plays into, obviously everybody knows, and I'm just saying it again for the people that may have forgotten that, that in Shakespeare's time, there were no female professional actors. So boy players were playing all the women's roles. So Shakespeare, more than any other playwright of his day, does a lot of this in plays, both in Twelfth Night and As You Like It, and many other plays where he has a person who was a boy actor playing a woman who dresses up as a boy. Rosalind does that. Rosalind does that. And Viola does that. And so it leads to- They also do it in Two Gentlemen of Verona. Indeed. Well, and in Merchant of Venice and in a lot of plays. but there is there's a blurring of gender lines and sexuality in Twelfth Night that I think is is more extreme than in any of those plays, even including in As You Like It. So, um, you know, the attraction that uh, that Orsino has for Cesario, which is what Violet calls herself when she's a boy, you know, it, it, it calls into question, um, you know, the sexuality writ large in that play. Totally. And as we know, Shakespeare slept with men as well as women. So, well, we don't we don't know that we can. Well, it's we not can like guess we were that. in the room, but we can guess that. Right. I mean, we don't we, sadly, we don't we don't know much about Shakespeare's biography that way. I mean, if, are you, if you're going by the sonnets, that's, you know, I mean, who knows? It's hard to read the sonnets bi- biographically, I think. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think he was into both men and women. Could be, certainly could be. If we could discover that for sure, if we found a letter or something, we'd oh be my famous. God. We would be famous. And we'd be rich. 
And we wouldn't have to be asking you nice people to give us money. <laughs> but, but going back to as you like so it. So that not the ev- bank can think that we're porn people. Right, exactly. <laughs> if we were porn people, we'd have a little bit more in the in, in our balance. Yeah, yeah. He's, he actually said to me, he was like something about, you know, does, do you, do you make, you know, is something or something 50% of your income? And I'm like, income, income, what income, income? <laughs> your words are strange to me, banker, man. I just started laughing. Oi, I was just going to say, just to close out as you like it, Celia's relationship does not really bode particularly well to me in terms of a lasting relationship. Well, I mean, First of all, Oliver's switch from being a total asshole to being a good guy is not believable. But I mean, if you're saying about how fast they fall in love. No, I'm not, I, because everybody falls. I mean, Orlando and Rosalind, every, everybody falls in love super fast. I am talking about the fact that Oliver was a murderous jerk off, like yeah, for the entire yeah. play. Yeah, he was. And then just he turns good and he loves Celia and oh, they're going to be happy. I don't buy it. I, you know, I, I no, I, I can see that. I can see that because I just don't. You know, a leopard doesn't really change his spots. And then he's got that that thing about the lion. You know, I know, just, yeah. I know. It's just weird. It's, it's weird. weird. Uh, and and for that, and in Twelfth Night, you know, you have you do you have Orsino and Viola, but then you have Viola's twin brother Sebastian, and he gets married to Olivia when she thinks he's another human being entirely. That's right. So uh, that, how's that going to work out? That goes to show that Olivia's attraction to Cesario is lust. And physical. Yeah, purely physical. Yep. But they're married now, so good luck. They are. But what about Sir Toby and Mariah? Yeah, I don't think Sir Toby is long for this world, frankly. That, well, that doesn't have any bearing on whether or not they're actually going to get married. Well, they do get married. They well, do. That's he what married, I mean. he, you're right. And and actually, you know, they're not a bad couple. They have they actually have things in common. I think they're and, a good couple. And they know each other. You know, I, I mean, mean, it says something about Mariah's sense of self that she wants to marry him in the first place. But this is true. Okay. Well, but he's, you know, he's 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 got a social position and he's got he's got probably got some money. You know, she's a servant, so it's a good marriage for her. But but, they, but they clearly they clearly like each other and they they know each other. And that's the thing, like again and again and again in these plays, people get married at the end of the play. They don't know each other. That's true. They don't even know. I mean, Sebastian and Olivia is an extreme example because he's literally like mistaken for another person. But, you know, Orsino doesn't know Viola. And Viola Viola has gotten a good look at Orsino's character. And she loves him anyway, which is completely almost as puzzling as Helena and Bertram in All's Well. Well, I mean, why Helena has any feelings for Bertram? I mean, she wins him by, you know by pre- having another woman pretend to be her when they have sex that's fucked well, up. even even before that she compels bertram to marry her by curing the king of france and you know extracting a promise from the king that he will give her the husband of her choosing and she chooses bertram and the king forces bertram to marry her against her will bertram is a total shitheel don't get me wrong he's a total douchebag but but to be fair to bertram would you like it if somebody said to you okay you have to marry that person. I don't give a shit how you feel about them. No, but he doesn't have to be a total prick about it. But let's also not forget that it's not the only time that Shakespeare uses that bed trick because it happens in Measure for Measure. 
it indeed it does another play in which people like are enforced to do things or right. at least now, they, they're now admittedly angelo is like a, a psychopathic puritan you know so he does or so it seems or so it seems he really deserves what he gets i think i mean i well but what he you know what he deserves way worse than what he gets yes agreed angelo's punishment is to have to marry the woman who loves him i agree but and but each woman if you look at the status of each woman in each of those plays they're just like they're a conquest only anyway you know like the women the women that these men desire are only for conquest purposes. A con- some, sometimes a dowry. Yeah. Well, that's and, a conquest. Well, it's not love. And, and, and to be fair, but that, see, again, that's going back to Orlando. That's why I like Orlando because he, he's not into Rosalind for her money. Mm-hmm. He genuinely loves her. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, and, 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 you, you know, Benedict and Beatrice. Now there, there's an evenly matched couple. Absolutely. That they are evenly matched. But I also think that, you know, maybe, you know, they when when somebody else tells them that the other one has feelings, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I've had these feelings forever. I think a lot of what brings them together ultimately is their pride. Well, yeah, then that and that's the the interesting thing is because there are hints in the text that they have had a relationship in the past. Yes, absolutely. When, when she, she says, says I, yeah. I know you of old, you know, right, right. Um, and and the, so, I mean, it's not 100 percent provable, but there's definitely a feeling that Beatrice and Benedict were a couple and something went wrong. And now they, quote unquote, hate each other, except everybody knows that they really love each other. So blah, blah, blah. They have to be tricked into getting together. Yeah. But there is no question in my mind in the kill Claudio scene that those two people genuinely love each other. And, you know, also very unusually in Shakespeare, they are like intellectually, emotionally, in pretty much every way, a match, you know? I mean, Rosalind is so much smarter than Orlando, uh, even though they're, I buy them as a couple. Usually the women in Shakespeare, like Juliet is so much smarter than Romeo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, Benedict, the, but Benedict think- and Beatrice, are you know they're they're a match yeah but that's unusual very unusual with you you know juliet's much smarter than romeo yeah she, that's that's what i just said and yeah. and she you know and she's 13 um, right you know she makes some questionable decisions but none of them are her fault no you know she no. gets super bad advice from the grown-ups the nurse and fire lawrence most especially but we should talk obviously we should talk i mean romeo and juliet are the the paradigm of romantic love not only like worldwide, right? So how the fuck did that happen? So, so, you know, it's interesting that he has this intense love because it can't possibly survive, right? Like that, that intensity of young love doesn't last, right? So is that his comment on young love, on youth love? Like you have to go through that in order to Uh be able to be an adult? A hundred percent. That is that is my theory about this play, because, you know, if you if you think obviously a lot of people have talked about this. How did this play about two teenagers who meet each other, fall in love immediately and know each other for what? Maybe maybe four days. How did this become the paradigm for romantic love the world over? Right. Well, of course, part of it is the, the poetry in that in that play is maybe the most beautiful poetry that even William Shakespeare ever wrote. So the, the word music is kind of overwhelming in that play, but yes, I think you're right. I personally think that what he, what he was writing was a representation of those adolescent 
uncontrollable hormonal feelings that because there's a lot of violence in that play as well as sex that every everybody experiences those feelings and those you can't live your whole life feeling that way because you'd die so in order to become an adult you have to leave feelings of adolescence behind but those powerful feelings happen on you know once in your lifetime once in one period of your lifetime so in, in a way, at least this is how I feel, Romeo and Juliet are kind of a metaphor for, for those feelings. And they, they have to die for the rest of the world to grow up. And those, the, the, those feelings need to be expiated in a way. You yeah, know what I mean? and I mean, the, I mean it, not just the rest of the world, individually too. too. Like, I mean- Yeah, well, for, certainly for Verona, the world of Verona to go yeah, on. Because yeah. I mean, who's a grown up? In, oh my God, everybody's acting like a fucking child in Verona. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Every, I mean, maybe Prince Aeschylus is kind of a grown up. Maybe Tybalt, fucking baby. He's a ben, bully and a baby. Benvolio, maybe. But every, yeah. Mercutio is a, I mean, they're all, I mean, the and, and the parents. Oh my God, they're children. Oh my God. You know who's an interesting couple? Is uh, Florizel and Perdita. I think they're a great couple. Yes, I totally agree with you. Look, like, I mean, first of all, it's a rare thing uh, for a Shakespeare play to to show somebody of noble birth remaining truthful to a lower class woman anyway, right? I mean, she is, you know, she is technically a princess, but he doesn't know. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Right. Even after his father disowns him, he like is dedicated to her. I think they're completely adorable. he tries to keep the secret so that he can, but he's fully committed to marrying her. And, and, and she says, you can't, you can't, you can't, you're a prince, yes. you're a prince, you're a prince. Yes. And he says, no, fuck it. I don't care. I love you. I'm going to marry you. Yeah, I and love then, it. and then he proves it. Right. That's right. He, he it. says, he says, um, um, uh, uh, I cannot, I cannot be mine own nor anything to any, if I be not thine. Wow. Good for you. I could not quote the winner's tale like that out of a clear blue sky. I just love, I, I really like that. I, I, well, I have to be honest. I love that line and I've suggested it as uh, lines for couples. Oh, that's great. Because Lisa Ann marries people, y'all. I do marry people. She married me. That's right. I did. Yay. Um, yay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Flor- Florizel, I mean, Perdita is great. And Florizel totally proved, because he does, he renounces, I mean, he renounces his heir- heirship to the throne. Mm-hmm. He runs away That's with right. her. He runs away from his father, who's threatened all kinds of horribleness. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants to be married to Perdita. I think, I think Florizel is an awesome guy. I agree. I agree. Oh, as opposed to Leontes. <clears throat> Oh, we just read Pericles this weekend. What about now? Now, hear me out here. What about Pericles and Thaisa? Right? Because their relationship survives decades, not to mention her supposedly being dead and being pushed out to sea in a casket in the middle of a storm. You know, I have this to say about that. Sure. Great. Fine. But, it's a terrible play, <laughs> but it's such a it's such a, such a badly written play. I'm so glad to know that Shakespeare only wrote the second half. Um, but we never. When do we ever see Pericles and Taiza as a couple? He wins her in this stupid way, in the and then and then they they, they have a shipwreck and she supposedly dies and then they have it's sort of like a sketch for what happens at the end of the Winter's Tale in a weird way. But we don't see their relationship at all. We don't, but we do see that they they're happy to be reunited. So he's very he's very sad because he thinks she's dead, and then she isn't dead, and who cares? 
I, I agree with you that the play is a piece of crap, but if you just look at the information we're given about the characters. Well, listen, I, uh, let me put it this way. I prefer Pericles and Taiza as would I, I would rather have dinner with Pericles and Taiza than let us say the Duke of Cornwall and Regan. Although, although they're well matched until he can't, you know, until she feels that he can't give her any more than she has. So well, and then he gets killed both by a assholes. Ser- <laughs> he gets he gets killed by a servant in a duel. So fuck him, he right? Does. From her point of view. Although you know, I was also thinking about the Edmund thing. I think part of her attraction to Edmund is that she is that she knows her sister is attracted to Edmund. Well, yep, sibling rivalry. And yep. Goneril, I mean, Goneril and, and Albany are a horrible couple. I mean, just because, Gon- I mean, who knows how long Albany has secretly known that Goneril was a terrible person? Oh, I think from day one. Yeah, but it, I mean, has he been, I mean, has he been playing along? I mean, it's very, he seems to discover bad things about her, she- but you would, you would think he would have to know. You would think, you would think. And of course, and of course, the, one of the fascinating things, not only in that play, but in a lot of Shakespeare, in terms of these relationships, is what's missing. Like we never hear one word about King Lear's wife or wives, because I sometimes get the feeling, and there's not a word in the text to support this, but I get the feeling that there was one queen who was Lear's first wife, who uh, who was the mother of Goneril and Regan, and, and then another queen who was, the mo- who was the mother of Cordelia. I totally is, agree. I mean, that it feels <laughs> that way to me, but I can't prove it. Uh, but we ne- but there's not one word about Queen Lear, and there's we hear about Gloucester and you know his adultery and the fact that Edmund is a bastard, but his wife is clear is I, we assume she's dead because she's not around. Right. So they're, they're missing. And actually going back to, to, as you like it. And I've been thinking a lot about this because you guys were, I'll plug this. We're live streaming as you like it really soon on Shakespeare's birthday coming up on April 23rd, Lisa Ann is directing and uh, I'm going to play Jake. So I've been, you know, doing some early homework and looking at seven ages of man. And the thing that's most amazing to me about that speech is what's not in it. Jacuiz in that speech is supposedly talking about all the roles that that men specifically play during a lifetime, seven of them. He never mentions the roles of husband or father. Nope, sure doesn't. And what is up with that? Well, I mean, I think Jacuiz is gay, but that's just me. Well, entirely possible, but it's also, I mean, it's a very striking omission to say the least. Well, I mean, what we know Shakespeare's uh, in general, like the man, his feelings on marriage. I mean, he was 18 when he married uh, Anne, who was 25 already. And, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't come back to her until much later in life. I mean, he well, and it was a shotgun marriage because, yeah. you know, the, she, gave birth. Already pregnant. she gave birth six months later. So we <laughs> know right. like, like he he knocked up a woman seven years older than is one of the very few things we know about him. That's right. And then, yes, he, you know, didn't live with her for the for the majority of his life. So, uh, so I have a question about couples in Shakespeare. Uh, how come so many men in Shakespeare believe that their woman is unfaithful to them when she's the most faithful she could possibly be? Well, you know, that was a common trope in a lot of plays. 
Um, so it was a, like a popular theme but to write over about. And over and over again. It, it, it is a little. It's a. It's a little overdone. But you know, but here's the thing. You have you have a treatment of that theme in a jocular way that's kind of lame in a play like The Merry Wives of Windsor, which is like the running theme of that play. But then Shakespeare, late like just a few years later, turns that same theme into Othello, which is one of the greatest plays ever written. And. It's in Cymbeline, too, because let's not forget that Posthumus believes that Imogen was unfaithful. Right. And P.S. And so, of course, Winter's Tale and a million others. Right. But we, you know, we just read Cymbeline recently. So, <laughs> yes, to be fair to Posthumus, he is tricked into thinking that his wife is unfaithful by yes, Giacomo, but... who, does a, who does a pretty good job of it. Yes. But. But we're and we're supposed to really like Posthumus, but Posthumus's response to this—I mean, if you find out right. that your spouse has right. in fact cheated on you, I don't—I'm not going to endorse what Posthumus does, which is to try to have her assassinated. Exactly. I mean, that's his response—is to order his servant to go and assassinate her because she cheated on him, that's even right. though she didn't. But that's he right. doesn't know that. That's right. So it's a—it's a little bit. Of an overreaction. <clears throat> hey, going back to Merry Wives of Windsor, the best, uh, I think, the best couple in that is Anne Page and Fenton. They yeah. actually really like each other. Yeah. They get married against their parental wishes, uh, but unlike Romeo and Juliet, they actually live. That That's fair. That's fair. I just kind of don't give a shit about them. Well, yeah, be, because there's no drama. Well, well and, and because they're, you know, they're such minor like underwritten characters but here's a for okay but for, you have uh, to admit they do it I, right i certainly prefer them to let us say claudio and hero in oh Much my Ado. god they're awful well it's not here it's it's not hero's fault it's claudio claudio is one of the biggest shitheads in all of shakespeare i totally agree you know the and where where he irretrievably loses it for me is when he's informed that hero is dead, even though, again, that's another trope that Shakespeare loves is people faking their death. So, you know, he's informed that hero is dead and he makes jokes. Yeah, he's yeah. he's an asshole. He's an asshole. Pure I and agree. simple. I mean, that I that is that relationship is doomed. Yeah, doomed. And, and again, where's Leonardo's wife? Like all of the character, all of the older men in these plays, where are their wives? Yeah. Where's Lear's wife? Where's Shylock? Well, Shylock, of course, has an amazing line about his wife. It's the center of the play. That's right. You know, when when he finds out that uh, his daughter has sold his wife's ring for a monkey and he says a monkey, it was my my sapphire. I had it of Leia when I was a bachelor. I would not have sold it for a wilderness of monkeys. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking line and it's central to like the, you know, the humanizing of that character. But but she's not in the play. At least she gets a name, Leah. Yeah, Jessica's Jessica's a shitty, shitty well, character. Well, how about the relationships in that play? Yeah, how, about no Bassan- how about Bassanio and Portia, the central relationship? That he's a fortune hunter and she's a liar. Yeah, they're perfect together. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, seriously, I've, uh, for anybody that... that um, has seen any of the any Shakespeare in New York City about 10 years ago there was a a production of the Merchant of Venice that started at the Delacorte in Central Park for Shakespeare in the park and transferred to Broadway where I saw it that the brilliant director Dan Sullivan directed it was Al Pacino with Shylock and 
it was really an amazing production. And the thing that was most amazing to me was the fifth act, which is always so tricky because, you know, Shylock is gone at the end of act four, and then you're left with the lovers and Belmont in act five. And they're just like these, you know, the play is, seems like it's over and they're just, they're making jokes about the ring and blah, blah, blah. And but we don't this, care. And we don't care. Right. Cause we hate them because of what they've done. Right. But, but in this production, the way Dan Sullivan directed it, these people realized like Bassanio and Portia saw each other for who they were. Wow. And, and, and Jessica, and even Jessica and Lorenzo, like kind of were very uncomfortable with each other because they realized, so they were also all of these fucking asshole Christians were stuck with each other. And PS Antonio is looming and it was so uncomfortable and you realized, Oh shit. No, their, their lives are, toast from now on because they've done a terrible thing good it serves They're bad up. people and it was i mean it was really awkward and really creepy and great it solved the fifth act oh my god i would have loved to have seen that yeah it was great um you and i have talked about mac and lady mac before i mean i think that at i genuinely think that at some point in their lives they were 100 percent in love and a really great couple until Agreed. it starts to go downhill well, something- because I think if I think if if you it's not as much of a tragedy, the falling apart of that relationship, if it wasn't a great relationship to start. And with. I and I think it clearly was there's and there's an intimacy. I mean, it always comes down for me with these people. Like, do they feel like they actually know each other? Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. And those two what I mean, obviously, by the time we meet them, think some things have gone horribly wrong. And then, of course, it's a nightmare of the entire play. But those two people know each other intimately well. Yeah, agreed. And and they are they they are like two peas in a pod. And so, yes, I think there I think there's great love in that relationship. And the, the key is obviously their dead child. You know, I mean, there's there's all the lines about the fact that they've had at least one child and that child is not around, that he has no children, as Macduff says. Um, so that's right. What, and it's well known that uh, that Angels the, and death, of Grace defend us. the death of a child is can destroy a couple more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Except so maybe infidelity. But I think the death of a child is even worse. So, I mean, there are so many ways to interpret that play, of course. But I mean, if they if they are trying to fill the void of the their dead child and not having children with uh, worldly ambition and worldly gain, you know, I mean, and obviously it goes horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I to your central point, I agree. They they seem like a like at one time they were a, a really good couple, and it's very interesting. The other couple that in all of Shakespeare that to me displays a real intimate relationship is Claudius and Gertrude in Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. I mean, they, I would argue that Antony and Cleopatra also have that. But they're not married. They're not married. They are a couple though. They are. They are a couple, but they're not. And they've I'm had talking, children I'm, together. I am talking about married couples in Shakespeare and the presentation of a marriage, because it's very, very. And that's one of the things that's really strange about Shakespeare is the lack of representation of married couples. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you about about Anton and Cleopatra. And we can we'll talk about them. But what I'm saying is that that uh, excuse me, Claudius and Gertrude, uh, again, like Lord and Lady Mac, a ne- like negative 
characters who are who are murderers you know yeah. at least one of them is and yeah. one of them is an enabler um but they but they know each other so well and when like when laertes comes in and is threatening to kill claudius gertrude's first impulse is to defend him you know i yeah, mean it's which... just i mean they they love it they for whatever reason Claudius and Gertrude know each other. They act like a couple. They love each other. They defend each other. Doesn't mean they're and, not shitty, shitty, shitty people. Well, they're monsters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying that they're that it's what it's fascinating to me that the two most intimate portrayals of a marriage in Shakespeare are all both evil people, both comprised of evil people. Yeah. Lord and Lady Mackinac and Gertrude and Claudius. You know, Antony and Cleopatra are very flawed human beings. But that's what I like about them. Sure. I like that they're flawed human beings because I don't think they ever pretend to be otherwise. No, no. Um, and, you know, even though they, I mean, you could argue that it's Shakespeare's greatest romance outside of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't argue. <laughs> I completely agree with you. You know, I mean, and and again, like like Romeo and Juliet, the the woman is smarter than the man, and which almost always happens in Shakespeare. I agree with you because Antony is a dumb son of a bitch. He he is kind of all brawn and no brain. He cannot even successfully kill himself. So so, what do you think of uh, Prosper and Miranda? Of uh, uh, Miranda and Ferdinand, rather. Now I know that you think that Prospero like magics them together. But I think they're actually a really good balance. I, I don't. I don't think Prospero magics them together. I think that he uses the, his his abilities and the properties, the mysterious properties of the island, to encourage that relationship because it does happen in literally three hours. Um, it, but it does. That doesn't for, mean it's but, not real. But, but they are both. I mean, <clears throat> Ferdinand and Miranda, as far as we can see both seem to be really nice young kids. Yeah, they're a good balance. They play chess together. It's good. Yeah. She wants to carry his wood. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Make of that what you will and, and also, get your mind out of the gutter. And also he's he's just, you know, he's just kind of bumbling and it's very sweet. Well, he's, I mean, he's here's really the thing. He's, re he's genuinely mourning his father. I mean, yes. he thinks that his father has just died. And he's real, and he's genuine. I mean, like he's the king of Naples now, as far yeah. as he knows. And he says more than once, "I wish I weren't." That's right. That's right. He gen he's genuinely mourning his dad, and she genuinely. Now, also, there's the other added thing that he's the first human man other than her father that she's ever seen. And he's young and hot, and you know, it like right. it it like bumps her into puberty in like thirty seconds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But but yes, I think I mean, they don't pass my test of do these people get a chance to really know each other. But sure, they they're they're very nice. I, I think they have a chance. I think they have I think they have a good chance. You know who doesn't have a chance? Proteus and Julia. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Well, fuck that play, you know, well, I, mean, I mean, even even Valentine and Sylvia, you know, because like Valentine's all about Sylvia, the entire fucking play until his buddy wants her. And then he's like, here, you can have sure, her. Sure, you fuck can you. have her. No. Bros well, before then... hoes. <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck. laughs> 
Well, and and then there's the the attempted rape. I mean, it's just and there's that the play, attempted rape. Yeah, I, I'm I I I am <laughs> gonna I kind of like to pretend that play never happened. It's so early in the canon. Like he was so young when he wrote it. He was feeling his way. I give him a pass on that play. It's a terrible, terrible play <laughs> that should ne- like there. And this is another podcast, <laughs> but there are a handful of Shakespeare plays that I firm I've seen them done. And I'm just, you know what? I'm of the belief that just don't do them. There's a handful like Pericles. Just don't do it. Two gentlemen of Verona. You know what? That's like, even if you cut it, it's two hours that I'll never get back. So just, we can, we can all like, we can move on and there are other plays to do. Yeah. But so, you know that, that there are those people that think I can save this play. Yeah. No, you you're can't. wrong. No, it's you're bad. wrong. It's just bad. You're wrong. Now watch, now, now watch the universe. will like, you're, you'll get an email or I'll get an email and somebody will want us to direct those plays. Well, I've directed two gentlemen of Verona. Have you really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <sighs> you know, so, you just have to, you you, I, I don't yeah. even know what to say. <laughs> I know, I know. Some of them are. Listen, they they can't all be gems. I mean, you know, when it with the with the possible rape, the only way to play it is that it's sort of a joke, kind of. Mm, yeah, but is it? How about how about Petruchio and Kate? That's fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you have to break someone, that that's no. No, no, no. And, and again, we've talked about this, but like there's, you, you can try to play it like they have, they've come to an arrangement and her last speech has, is, iron, is ironic, but that's not what was written. And, and all you need, you needn't look no further than the, the name of the play. It's called The, the Taming, Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> so let's- How come we could fucking say that together? Without even trying. Well, that's the thing. We weren't trying. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't believe in any of the any of the people that are, any of the relationships in that play. But what about but what about Midsummer? There's magic involved in that play as well. There is. I mean, you know, on first glance, you'd say that Oberon and Titania are well matched, but he's a total dick. Well, she, you know, she's no prize. No, I know. She but, does take the changeling child, but they're also not human. They're not human. That's the thing. I, I think they are well-matched. Certainly they're equals. Yeah. So, I mean, I cer- think that, that Lysander and Hermia certainly are a better match than Helena and Demetrius. Oh, I, mean, I think, I, I, I don't, I, I think Lysander and Hermia are a lovely little couple. I yeah. don't think Lysander is the smartest bulb in the drawer, but. Oh, hell no. But, but he genuinely, and also they, they seem to know each other again, you know, again. like they're, they, they have an intimate knowledge of each other and they're, and they're friendly to each other. They're nice to each other. They seem, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, he does try to get it on in the woods, but you know, well, as a young man, it's to be expected. And, and you know what? He, he, he takes no for an answer when she says sleep further off. He does ultimately take. Yeah. 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 I, I, I have no problem with him doing that. Uh, you know. But Helena and Demetrius, uh, on the other hand, Demetrius is a complete and total prick face. Yeah. No two ways about Does it. Lysander, Lysander wa- like, wants to make out with his girlfriend. Right. On the, uh, Demetrius 
threatens to rape someone who's following him. Those are That's two right. different things. But let's talk about Helena. What the fuck? What does she see in him? And then she's like, use me as you would your dog. Yeah, it's very sad. Well, so then, of course, there's all kinds of, you know, chicanery with the magic and this and that and yeah. put it, you know. So at the end of the play, Lysander is returned to normal and he and Hermia love each other just like they did at the beginning. But they don't take the magic juice out of Demetrius's eyes so that he stays in love with Helena. Well, it's nice because he becomes much less of an asshole. Right. But it's only because of the magic. So it's fake. It's not real. He's been coerced by an outside force to become a nice person. Yep. It's like WandaVision. It's terrible. And and even so, so now that he's a nice person, Helena was in love with the asshole. So you're telling me all of a sudden he becomes a great guy and she's like, oh, cool. No, they're doomed. I'm not buying What, what about Theseus and Hippolyta? Well, again, you and I had this conversation because... I th- I think, well, first of all, oh, God. All right. In the first folio, after, for all of you that don't know, the first folio is uh, ostensibly the first time that these plays were written down. Um, in the first folio, after Theseus tells Hermia, you have to do what your father says and marry who he wants you to marry, or we're going to send you to a nunnery. Theseus has a line that in the first folio, it says what char, C-H-A-R-E, my love, to Hippolyta. They changed it in the quartos to what cheer, my love. So everybody in the who does it with the quartos always plays it like, oh, how what are we going to go do now for fun after I said this horrible thing to this young woman? But char, on the other hand, means anger. So if he says what char, my love, Theseus is saying to Hippolyta, why are you angry? Well, Hippolyta is the queen of the Amazons. So if she hears her husband who, uh, you know, subdued her and and beat her in combat and so she had to marry him. Carried carried her off to get married. But even so, if she hears him as queen of the Amazons saying this awful stuff to this young lady, in my opinion, and when I directed it, I had her turn around and smack him across the face. Yeah, I, and then and I walk think, off. I think that's completely valid, and I think that she is angry with him in that moment. However, it's interesting to me that if you look at their, and we see a fair amount of Theseus and Hippolyta together, she does not seem to be too pissed off that she's going to get married to him. And again, they see they, the way they talk to each other. They talk to each other as equals. They, she seems she seems okay with it, and. I, you know, at she is an Amazon. He did beat her in battle. I think that on some level she respects that. I, I agree with you. And I think that because she is her own woman, when she doesn't respect what he's doing, she's going to make it known, which is why sure. I think oh, it's absolutely. really, it, it, it's just, I think it's really detrimental to the way that couple comes across when you play that line is what cheer, my love. Oh yeah, well, you, you're absolutely right to take that from the folio. I will say this, of all the, I mean, whether or not you believe or not believe in the relation, those people, Theseus, Hippolyta, Demetrius, Helena, Hermia, Lysander, they can do whatever they want, but I kind of hate all of them for the way they behave during Pyramus and Thisbe. Yeah. They just, kind of, they keep really making snide sides. comments. It, it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of assholes on their cell phones during a show. I can see that. Or or um, people who talk back to a comedian. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. You know what? Let these guys do the show. Yeah. <laughs> what about what about Othello and Desdemona? Oh, well, they never have a chance. They don't. And and that's sad because I think they genuinely love each other. Well, I will I'll I'll say this. It's it, it's certainly it's a heroic relationship, especially when you consider the time period. Mm-hmm. I, I worry about the age gap with them. Um, you know, he describes himself as being old. And um, she is clearly, you know, she can't be more than 20 or 21, right? Yeah. So, and he's, pr- he can't be younger than 40 or 45. Yeah, so I agree. So that, that's a problem. And honestly, you know, a uh, uh, and and the and the, the the events of the play bear this out. A, a mixed race marriage in, in that time period is not going to be easy. That's true. That's why I think they're genuinely they genuinely have feelings for each other. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, I, you know, you wonder what how how it would have worked out, but obviously it's submarined in the most horrible way possible. You know. It's amazing to me that Shakespeare writes these men to be stupid enough to be beguiled into thinking that their partner is unfaithful. Well, but not only that, what's really interesting in that play is, you know, I mean, Iago is pretty much as intelligent a person as Shakespeare ever wrote. Evil, of course, but smart. Holy shit. And yet the thing that Iago neglects is his wife. Well, let's talk about Iago and Amelia. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. Of course, we don't get we only they only have one scene that's just them. And he's very, very dismissive of her. And he never he never like she's the one that obviously at the end of the play figures out what he's done and blows the whistle on him. Right. And And then he tries to stab her. And then he tries to stab her, uh, you know, as one does. But Um, she has to know, like, I I can't imagine that you're married to somebody. And it seems like they've been married a while. Right. You cannot. You you must know by that point, you have to know who somebody is. Right. So is she just pretending not to see who he really is until it's too late or until she just can't take it anymore? I, I think she probably, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, that play is so, so complex. So I, I don't have any hard and fast answers. And, and, and I've played Iago. Um, it, it's difficult. I mean, and I think, of course, every production will be different. But I think that she must suspect and know on some level. But he's so good at, I mean, his bullshit is so tight that, I think he has her more or less fooled. What he, what the mistake that he makes is that he thinks he has her totally fooled and that she's not a threat to him. The mistake he, he makes is dismissing her. Is dismissing her. That's exactly right. Not, you know, not considering her as any kind of factor in his elaborate plans. And then, of course, you know, that's the thread that undoes him. Um, you know, I mean, is he beating her? Um, you know, she has that very long and interesting speech about when men, you know, do terrible things to women. What do you think women are going to do? Yeah. Um, so where does that come from? If it, and, and yet in the scene, in the, it's very, very brief, but the way she talks about him before he comes on stage, it kind of feels like she's still in love with him. Well, it, you know, I, I kind of feel like it's, uh, what is that Munchausen syndrome when you're in love with your abuser? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and he's, and, and listen, he's a spell weaver, this guy. 
Right. And I'm sure at some point in his youth, he was, you know, attractive and a charm. In his youth, he's 28 years old. Well, I- Iago is 20. It's very know, specifically delineated. That, that's right. But considering that they're, you know, the the average age to live to was about 50 at that. Right. Point. Right. No, he's I think they've been, aged. I think they've been together for some time. I'm just saying that he's st- what he's still. I mean, it's not like he's, you know, past it. He's still 28 years old. So he's, you know, a virile young soldier. He's all got that swagger going on. Yeah. But you have to remember 28 then is yeah, like I know, I know, 50 I know. now. And I'm not saying that a 50 year old man can't be sexy. As but well. I mean, you know, the average, but what I'm the saying a- is I the think average that age of marriage in Shakespeare's time was about 25. That's when people didn't get married until they were about 25. Except for Romeo and Juliet. And except, that's the well, whole except fucking problem. The, the, nobili- the nobility got married at younger ages for a lot of different reasons. But, but you know, people couldn't afford to get married until they were like in their mid-20s. So Iago is not an old guy, is what all I'm saying. But, but that wasn't my point. So what I'm saying is that Iago, at some point in his life, before he let the bitterness overtake him, you know, was probably used all of that glibness of tongue to be much more charming. And it's gotten to the point now where he's taking Amelia for granted because they've been together so long. Yes, agreed. I mean, clearly Iago can be charming. And clearly he, you know, he wove a spell over Amelia just as he does over Othello Mm -hmm. and Cassio and Mm -hmm. Rodrigo and pretty much everybody. Yeah. And Desdemona. And Desdemona, exactly. I mean, he's, that's who that guy is. He's evil incarnate but with a a plea i mean he's honest iago it's practically right. his first name in that play that's right who else oh oh how about henry and catherine in henry five yeah i mean they only get like one right they only have one scene together but one, you know, one scene where he woos her and but she they can't try speak English. Him, right but they triumph over adversity it's the fact that he just killed like her entire country and a bunch of her relatives you know and disinherited her family to make himself the king of france but they you know they they make a good go of it they they, they seem <laughs> to me they to me they seem like two people who have to play the roles that they're in right because there's no way in that in that political situation, he ha- he has to marry her in order to be king of France. Exactly. And she has to marry him because he just conquered France. So in that scene, that scene is a formality because yep. they both know they have to get married. So in that being said, it's a charming scene. It's right. it's, it's only very odd because it's like a comedy scene that comes at the end of this non-comedic play and that's my point is that they're both they're both like i gotta do it i'm gonna you know i'm not gonna do it begrudgingly i'm gonna i'm gonna do it with right and i and and i I like that i think they're genuinely attracted to each other i agree more than that you can't really say i don't think about them and of course you know the i'm sure obviously shakespeare was aware that that marriage was a disaster for england because what what Henry doesn't know and probably Catherine doesn't know is that she's carrying the Valois taint of insanity that he's going to pass down to his son. That's right. And is going and is going to lead to the War, war of the Roses. Um, but that's another story. Never mind. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but Shakespeare knew. Shakespeare knew. He did know. But, you know, it's interesting. Think about think about all of the time he was writing like he has all these women characters who although he writes strong female characters because of the time you know a lot a lot of times their property to their husbands or whoever you know what i mean but running the country was elizabeth who was like 
you know, the monarch of all monarchy, you know, the right. and, un, and, un, and famously uh, unmarried. Exactly right. The Virgin Elizabeth. That's what I mean. It's very interesting. Well, yeah. that, you know, you know, he writes all this stuff about all of these women supposedly cheating on their husbands when, you know, what's running the country at the time is the Virgin Queen. Right. Exactly. And, and of course, there are tremendous questions of succession and who's going to be the next monarch and all of that stuff. And, and the tension that must have been felt as her as she got older and older. And at a certain point, you know, like when she was young, there was so much speculation and, and her own, you know, flirtations with who am I going to marry? Is it going to be this guy? Is it going to be that guy? But, but at a certain point, the country had to realize, oh, OK, well, she can't have children anymore. Right. Right. That's right. And then there's the whole thing with Mary Queen. And, and of course, you know, before her, I obviously one of the reasons she never got married is her older sister set the horrible example of marrying the King of Spain. Oh, God, bloody which Mary. was England's, you know, horrible rival. And so, you know, King Philip of Spain became King of England for a while, which was, you know, that's like Khrushchev becoming president in 1962. Or Putin becoming president now. Right. Right. Exactly. States, yeah. Right. So anyway, oi. Oi. So I think, uh, I think we've covered it. We've, co- we've, you know what? We can revisit this sometime. There are, there's so many more, but I think that's a good chunk of it. And I, I'm going to say, I know we're live, but I know we said we're going to call this romantic Shakespeare. It just doesn't seem all that romantic to me. Maybe we should call it relationship Shakespeare. That's what I suggested at the beginning of this. Episode. You were right. You were right. Romantic is, this is not romantic. Some of it's romantic, but it's relationship Shakespeare. Yeah. And the thing is, what do you consider a relationship? Right. Because like one of the best relationships in the entire canon is Hamlet and Horatio. Horatio is the best guy in the world. Well, but that that would be that would be another podcast like friendship Shakespeare. So romantic. Right. So romantic. These are romantic. But but relationship Shakespeare. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I think. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But 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 then but that covers friendship, too. Yeah, but that's, but friendship, but when I think of a relationship, yes, a friendship is a relationship, but if you talk about relationships, I think usually you're assuming it's romantic. I wonder which one would be a more interesting title for people. Yes, we know what we know we're recording now, by the way, you guys. (laughs) You're just going to have to bear with us. By this point, you'll have found out what decision we made. (laughs) So, so you'll, you'll have seen it and you'll know. We're, we'll, we'll talk about this when we get off the air and, and we'll make a decision, but you'll already know when you hear this. So That's we should cut right. that short. That's right. Don't forget, you guys, on April 23rd on Shakespeare's actual birthday at 730, we're going to be live streaming as you like it. Lisa Ann's directing. Please, please visit our website at www.thebardcastudick.com or check us out on social media uh, to see how you can how you can view. We're on at uh, 7.30 on April 23rd and also at 3 p.m. on Saturday, April 24th. And guys, if you have any extra money, this has been a really, really hard time for actors and directors and artists of all kinds. You can make a per episode donation at patreon.com. Or if you want to become a patron, we have swag now. That's right. We have all kinds of swag. So if you become a patron or make a donation, you get some swag from the Bardcast at Shakespeare, you dick. Not to mention the fact that if you give us money, it gives it gives our bank a chance to ask us if we're porno producers again. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
please somebody send us a check from some bizarre name like we, Dick Elis or something. Just <laughs> but 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 really just send us the money because we need to pay our fluffers. And remember, it's, it's Shakespeare, Shakespeare, you dick. Ah! <laughs> Proceeding podcast was a production of Country Matters, LLC, copyright 2021, all rights reserved.